As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, special guest again this week, Coastal Carolina coach Jamie Chadwell, the coach of America's team. Yeah, as as fun a story as there was in college football, we're excited to talk to him about uh, his program, his offense, and a lot of other things uh, related to the Chanticleers. So before we get to that, I just wanted to bring up, you know, look, I think we make the assumption that everybody listens to every episode. That's not true. Some people drop in on this podcast. Maybe they're discovering it for the first time. So people might not be aware, but you and I write for a website called The Athletic. Uh, it's a great sports subscription site. And uh, just just this week alone, uh, you can go on there and read a great uh, David Oven column about the uh, Eyes of Texas controversy with the Longhorns. Um, I really enjoyed Josh Kendall's uh, feature on Don Staley, the the great uh, women's basketball coach there. Um, I mean, I, yeah, just a ton of college football stories in a pretty slow time of year. And by the way, if you haven't subscribed yet, uh, we've got this special code we can hook you up with, theathletic.com slash the audible. Right now, uh, $3.99 a month. That's, uh, uh, I believe, a 40, 40% discount. Theathletic.com slash the audible. Anyway, Bruce, you had a story the other day um, that I want you to talk about a little bit. Uh, I think when people hear about analytics and sports science, it can scare them off a little bit. It can seem a little wonky, but I thought you did a good scared, job. It scared you off, didn't it? Be honest. <laughs> it scared me off for a little bit, but then I, I read it, I enjoyed it. Um, and I, I guess basically, like, you know, this would normally be when we have the NFL combine. And you love the NFL Combine, <laughs> let's be honest. I do like, love the NFL you Combine. You love the love NFL it. Combine. Everything about the NFL Combine. Um, I'm somebody who thinks it's pretty silly. And in particular, the amount of emphasis this sport continues to place on how guys in shorts run a 40 time. There's a quote in your article that really like hit me over the head. Like, really? Is this possible? That basically, this technology you write about here could basically replace what they do at the Combine. Yeah, I think really what 
it gets to is I think there will always be guys running the 40, but I think it's going to be how much real emphasis are, are NFL people, scouts, personnel people really going to place on that where now because of the, the data, not just GPS data, but all, there's a lot of other uh, tracking data that you can get on athletes. So it's not just about what they run in a 40 or, or what their top end speed, but very, very position specific things that translate on the field. If the right data scientists can basically construct and format what they're, what people are looking for. So this company I wrote about was called breakaway data and uh, Dave Anderson, who played for the Texans, was a receiver for them. Also was a great player at Colorado state. He's in their hall of fame. I don't know if our, you know, if our listeners will remember him from back then, but he would always be kind of wired to, as he put it, a wonder why guy. And as he thought about it, you know, one of the uh, best parts of his career was the two years that Kyle Shanahan became the offensive coordinator with the Texans. And he said, Kyle Shanahan really was, a, was great at putting me in, posi- in positions where I'm best. And so that got him thinking further down the road. He went to USC to get his MBA. And then he worked for a company called Second Spectrum, which I know a lot of uh, readers of The Athletic will be familiar with Second Spectrum because it's really a pioneering analytics company uh, that the NBA is involved with. So after Dave got out of there, uh, he worked with another NFL uh, former coach and executive and what they really kind of took from that and they developed the xfl was very proactive they wanted to create their own combine drills and so that's one of the things they did and you can see one of the drills that we've embedded into the story on the athletic um the dodgers who are really out in front on the analytics side of things they are backing this company breakaway data and so it's going to have a much bigger role. It's crazy because our story went up on Monday and I heard from a half dozen people inside football, including a couple of power five programs saying, Hey, can you pass along uh, somebody Dave's number? Cause I, we want to reach out to him and to see the reaction because there is a lot of people who are very curious about this. Now, Alabama, Nick Saban, uh, a year ago really went all in on this field that, you know, is largely called performance science. Uh, Nick Saban hired two, two, what people normally would think of as or categorize as, as strength coaches into that category, but there really were more than that. Dr. Matt Ray is fits into that category of performance science. And actually he has a connection to the Dodgers head of it, Brandon McDaniel, who studied under him. So it's fascinating to see it now that Nick Saban has given this field really his stamp of approval and, and bought all in. Well, it'll be really interesting to see that now a lot of college head coaches are probably going to be a lot more receptive to it. Remember a year ago when everybody was freaking out because Scott Cochran uh, you know, Nick Saban's strength coach since day one at Alabama left for Georgia. What's this going to mean for the program? And I remember when he announced his replacement was coming from Indiana. I remember this is pre-Indiana breakout season last year. I was like, huh, that's kind of a an unconventional choice. Um, but Najee, you featured, you talked to Najee Harris in this story, and he talked, you know, pretty candidly about how much the, those um, – you know, that change in approach really helped him uh, blossom as a senior. Yeah. And I think some of the things specifically um, 
Charles Huff, who had been his position coach, who, by the way, was Saquon's position coach at Penn State, talked about how athletes, especially today, are very kids are more tangible. They need to see it. And with some of these things, it's like, hey, you know, all right, you ran 20, you, your top end when you broke out on this big run at practice, you hit 21 miles per hour. Now he's like, I'm going to try to hit 21.1, 21.2. I know what that feels like. And all of a sudden it's like, it really resonates with, um, with a lot of these high level athletes. And also it's how you can specifically, you know, in some cases, as, as Dave Anderson was saying, you can kind of re-engineer and, and retrain secondary muscle groups, depending on what positions and what role in an offense or in a defense you play because of what they've determined on, on, um, you know, from the science part of it. It is fascinating to see because he was like, you know, for these high-level athletes, you really can um, train their bodies like a high-performance race car into that level of detail. And that's kind of blows some people's minds when you think about where this is likely can all be headed. All right. Well, let's bring on our guest. Um, I actually own a Coastal Carolina Chanticleers, Chanticleers t-shirt that I purchased kind of spontaneously uh, because I, after that BYU Coastal game last year, I was just got so caught up in it, so excited. And I love teal. So um, I did not mention that to him on this interview, but we did. Uh, it's a fun interview. We, we both um, we both really enjoyed watching them, watching their run last season. And uh, we talked to Jamie about that and also the very unique offense that he runs. By the way, that's another story on The Athletic this week, a, a deep dive film analysis of what makes Coastal's offense so unique. Again, theathletic.com slash the audible $3.99 a month for six months. Let's go to our interview. All right, Stu, we are now pleased to be joined by our guest, Jamie Chadwell, who just had an amazing year at Coastal Carolina. And everything we've heard is that they're just getting started over there. So coach, thanks for joining us today on the audible. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much. First night of the college football season, back when we didn't know, like the Big Ten wasn't playing yet, the Pac-12 wasn't playing, we didn't know what this weird, you know, pandemic football season would look like. There's no Pac-12 late night game. You guys are playing Kansas on, I think, FS1, and you're clobbering them. And I'm like, who are these guys, right? Like, I, I sorry to confess that I hadn't watched a Coastal Carolina game before that, <laughs> but I mean, I knew you had beaten Kansas the year before. I hadn't seen it. And... You got the uniform. You got the great uniforms. You've got this exciting offense. You've got this freshman quarterback who's playing great. Um, so that was the beginning of a really special season for you guys. When did you realize you might have that kind of team? And 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 did it have anything to do with the fact that you were, I think, the only or one of the only teams in the country that got in an entire set of spring practices last year? Well, uh, and I only say this about that Kansas thing too. You know. People think your first game, you know, you're excited. There's a little pressure. There was a lot of pressure for there because I, the Sun Belt had won two games that day versus the Big 12. And I knew, uh, and our team knew, hey, we're going to have a lot of people watching us because they want to see if we can sweep the Big 12. So that game took on a little bit more added importance than it normally would have. Um, you know what? I, I felt like I knew we weren't as bad as, uh, you know, prognosticators said we were and what we got voted. I, I felt like we were closer in 2019 to having a – 
a solid season, having a bowl type season. You know, we, we lost five games by 24 points. Now we were five and seven, but five of those losses we by a total of 24 points. So we were close. And so I felt like we were going to be better. I think when, when I knew we were going to be a special team, we, on a Wednesday night on national television, we, we, we beat Louisiana, who was, you know, preseason one or two in our league, which is a good program. And then, but our quarterback got hurt and was missing the next game. And we played a, a Georgia Southern team who's tip, uh, traditionally pretty good. And we were able to beat them uh, with our backup quarterback. And we didn't miss a beat. Nobody panicked and all those things. And I, I think at that point as a coach, uh, you know, our team's got something about them. Uh, that uh, they've got those intangible pieces, qualities that a team needs to have to try to, you know, make a, a special, special run. And I think that's when I realized they, we, we got a chance. But I do believe getting in the spring practice, you know, we, we, we got it. We were finished last year, March uh, the fifth was when we finished. I think that's the third day of, of 2020, <clears throat> and we went on spring break after that. Uh, and I, I, I hardly know those 15 practices helped us lay a foundation, helped us see what Grayson was about, helped us see what some other people were about. And getting that in, I think, benefited us in a great way because the NCAA passed all those rules in the summer where basically you were able to make it up in a walkthrough way and some of those things. But we were already ahead. So during that walkthrough time, it wasn't us really trying to install XYZ. We were actually building on things that we've done and was able to really, uh, you know, continue to build off of that spring. So I think it was valuable for us to do it and have it. And, and I think that really did help us have or be prepared uh, more so for a type of season that we went through with the pandemic and missing – you're going to miss practices, you're going to miss certain people. Having that spring, that foundation, it was, was definitely uh, beneficial to us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Jamie, we had a story on The Athletic this week uh, done by Ted Wynn. It was uh, X and O's analysis. It was a pretty interesting deep dive into your offensive system, which has gotten a lot of buzz around college football. And I would encourage our, our readers to check it out. Um, I was on the phone with a coach for something else. I was basically talking to him about um, some some draft prospects. And I had mentioned I'm gonna, we were going to have you on our podcast and I said, how similar is this offense really compared to some other stuff you've seen as the defensive coordinator? And he said, it's kind of insane. He goes, because you got this option-based principles with these insane RPOs coming off them. And he said, they're really good at making in, in-game adjustments. He's like, what they're doing is they're not just calling plays. And so... Um, you know, I, I've talked to Willie Korn, who some Clemson fans will definitely remember the name. And if you follow recruiting, people will remember Willie's name. He was a really touted quarterback who went to Clemson. And now he's uh, working with you on the offensive side of the ball. I'm curious as to how you came about with you guys came up with this offense and how like what was the brainchild behind it, but also the evolution of it as it's come to be where you're going, Hey, we're going to, we're going to take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, but also we're going to be true to what we're going to do. Cause it feels like everybody's trying to reinvent the wheel now with a lot of this stuff. Well, you know, part of it started truthfully out of necessity. Um, you know, when I was in, when I was in college, I was, I, I played at East Tennessee state. We were a, you know, an odd team back then draw, draw past all that food around a little bit. And then, 
uh, our, our head coach left and uh, the offensive coordinator from Air Force <clears throat> came in and he tried to dabble with what we were doing and some of his Air Force principles. Uh, and so I remembered that. We weren't great at it by any means, but I remembered it. And then sort of forgot it and, and then uh, learned some West Coast systems from uh, from a guy that I worked for. <clears throat> and then when I got our first, my first head job at North Greenville Division II school, we had we were playing in a 36 scholarship league and we had 17 scholarships. I knew if I wanted to try to run an offense that a lot of other people did, it was going to be very challenging to get the type of players you need. And so I'd remembered, you know, obviously what I played under in college a little bit. I went and visited somebody that was doing some option principles, but they were doing it out of the gun. I didn't want to be your, you know, your traditional military style. I didn't want to be one of those that was under center all the time. I wanted to try to throw the ball. I was a quarterback, but also knew I had to give much, give ourselves a chance to win each week. And so, uh, we took some option principles and said, hey, this is how we're going to do our run game and try to mix at that time, try to mix some West Coast type throwing things with some timing and some of those things. And that started in 2009. Willie came and played for me and started in 2010. So I was able to open it up a little bit with him. Uh, and then, you know, what happens, you see the evolution of the game. Then we, we started doing some spread, you know, no huddles type stuff, and then the RPO games. But what we always wanted to do, our, our, our foundation, and no matter what we do, no matter how many great plays there are, we always try to base things with our with our option mind in principle. Say, hey, we're going to be able to run these certain plays from our option standpoint, and we're going to make the defense defend them. And then when I when I do that, then I know what my answers can be. And then instead of the answer being maybe another run play, that maybe it's an RPO off of this, or maybe it's you know something off of this. And that's how we've tried to continue to to build it and evolve. But um, I never wanted to lose what gives us a chance each week. I mean, you can look at our team this past year, and you know we 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 were six two. 5'11", 5'9", 6'2", and 6'2", at our offensive line. We, we had nobody over, you know, from that standpoint, over 6'2", in height. And so, and three guys truthfully under six feet. Now, I'm not telling you that's by design, but that's what we had to try to go win with. And so, I have to give them a chance to win each week by leverage and angles. And so, we never wanted to lose our identity from that. But also, we wanted to try to take advantage of some of the skill set we had. Our quarterback is really good at RPOs and some of those things. We involved more with that. We had some receivers that could do certain things. And that's how you evolve without, but without losing that identity of making that defensive coordinator have to defend our dive game, our quarterback, and our pitch. What's crazy, uh, you know, this past year, as far as true option plays, like true option plays, triple option plays, we ran a total of five, five times. Now you'd think no way in the world. Now did we run more like double options and yeah, we'd run more of those, but true triple type plays, we only ran a total of five times. Uh, but because we have it in, it gives us a chance to try to take advantage of what some other defenses are trying to give us. And that's how we've evolved with our passing game. We can be able to BYU game, we threw the ball for a total of 85 yards. The next week we threw over for over 320. And so we try to do what the defense gives us. And if they try to take away certain things, then we, we're going to try to, you know, win the way we can win. How many different option plays do you guys actually have in your, in your, in your playbook? We probably, uh, we probably have different variances, about five a total. We have an inside veer. We have an outside veer. We have a midline. Uh, we have a speed option. We have a, a, you know, a counter option. We have about five to six variances of it. Now there's different things you can do off of it, but we have those in and, and, and then each week we'll have a wrinkle off of those and we'll try to see what, how defense 
what they align and what which version of that option we think works, uh, which will work. Now, I've had upwards of eight to 10 before, and we've scaled down because of some of the different things you can do. Um, but we're always going to probably carry in uh, five to six different option plays, different, completely different schemes in that game. And then there, and there might be where we need to run one of them a bunch and use as many of the other ones but i want to make sure uh make sure we have that in case you know somebody's that much better than us and we got to try to find a way to move the ball i mean what really stood out about watching that offense last year is that you know when you think traditionally about like you said service academy type offenses or um you know you know georgia tech when they're running it like the quarterbacks don't pass very often and so they're just seen as they're not very good passers but grayson mccall is a great passer and how much did his, you know, he's a redshirt freshman last year. How much did his uh, taking over that offense just kind of open up more possibilities for what you could do? Well, uh, you know, when you're when you call plays, you you only call you call plays you trust that your quarterback can make happen. And there's there's a bunch of plays out there you think would work, but if your quarterback can't execute it, you get sort of nervous. Hey, he's going to make a bad decision with Grayson, even from the from the get go. Uh, there was a confidence and if we called something and it was a bad play, he was going to figure out a way to make it, make it right. And the thing that he's got or that I'm just unbelievably impressed with from a young perspective is one, he's got some, some moxie and some poise about him that, uh, that for a young, a young guy in the pocket, you don't see a lot. Uh, and, and, and you can't get under his skin. He's very thick, uh, skin wise and he handled himself. And two, his accuracy is, is, is uh, unbelievable. I mean, they're in, in games and, and throwing in tight windows. Uh, the accuracy that he displays at a young age is, is, is as good as I've been around. And so from a, from a standpoint of a coach, then you feel more confident saying, hey, let's let, let's let this guy go a little bit. You don't have to run as much option plays and different things because you feel he's going to be able to give you a chance to make the right decisions and right plays. And as he, as he kept going on during the season, uh, we put you know more and more on him early on. We tried to – I tried to, you know, limit some packages as much as we could, just so we didn't over, you know, overblow his fuse and let him go out there and play. And as we kept going, he wanted more and more. You know, we had two guys that played before him that were both on the team. They were going to be juniors. They both started uh, over the last couple of years. Both started probably seven, eight games and played a lot. Uh, and during this pandemic, uh, he he logged more hours. Of watching video and doing the things that a you know a quarterback should do than any of them combined. I mean, he he is a football junkie. And what most people don't realize about him, he did go through spring practice. But when we came back in July, uh, the first time we were able to get back in July was July sixth. That's when we tested. He was quarantined up until July twenty eighth, so he missed all of July. And the first time that he came back was early August, right when we were starting fall camp. Uh, he was behind from a perspective of that. And one of our, our, our perceived starter going into the year hurt his Achilles during camp and missed about, you know, seven to 10 practices and Grayson got more and more reps. And it was, and then once he got those reps, he took off and, and, you know, we made the decision a week before the Kansas game or two weeks, whenever we made that decision was, Hey, this guy gives us the best chance to win a championship. And I knew, you know, he might make some mistakes here or there, but we were willing to live with him because his ceiling, and, and I think he turned the ball over a total of six times the whole year in uh, 10, 11 games, three interceptions. I think he maybe had two fumbles, maybe three. So uh, he was well beyond advertised. How much now that everyone now knows about Coastal Carolina, maybe it's, I want to say at one point people in your region obviously knew who you guys were. 
Um, but now, because of the year you had, how much have other people around college football going, hey, I'd love to pick your brain about your offense and, and things, and how do you, like, I remember when Leach got rolling with the air raid, it was like almost some people wanted to be protective about, hey, who we're letting in, and Leach would talk to almost anybody. Um, how have you managed being kind of a the hip, cutting-edge offensive guy now? Well, I'll be honest. I, 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 like, I like sort of being out of the out of the spotlight because it was unique and nobody else wanted to do it. And so you were the only one doing it, you know. And so nobody really cared about it that much. Now a lot more people want to find out what we're doing. And, and truth be told, it's for myself, it's all stolen as well. It's not like, you know, I created it. Obviously, people have done it. So uh, we've tried to be as open as we can about it. And, and in today's age, everybody's got your video now. Uh, I mean, you know, used to, it was hard to get your video, but now everybody has it. And so not, not many people know your secrets. I think the challenge with, with this offense, truthfully, is what I share with people. You, it's easy with the air raid because you're throwing it, right? You're getting receivers and you're throwing it. Uh, with this one, you got to, your, 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 your identity and who you are, it starts really with a, with a run game. And we, and we try to make it a, a physical power type run game and, and, and saying, Hey, our run game is going to be based off of these principles. And you have to buy into that. Doesn't mean you can't RPO. Doesn't mean you can't do all those things. You really want to do some of these things that there's a mentality there. And you've got to be able to, as that defensive coordinator mentioned to you, you got to be able to say, hey, my answers are going to be X, Y, Z when they do this to me. And, and so that's why, I, in my opinion, a lot of people haven't gone to it as much previously because, you know, they're worried about, well, you have to do this, you have to do that. And I think now we're showing them you can throw the ball 30-something times a game and, and still have some options principles like we have. And, and so we've been open about it. We're actually getting ready to have a uh, – uh, Thursday night, we're getting ready to have a, a, a clinic, and it, that thing sold out in like 10 minutes as far uh, – I say sold out, it was free, but just um, people wanting to know. And that's why we're doing it because, uh, you know, hopefully that's the that's the good thing. You know, we get labeled as America's team right now. More and more people are learning about Coastal Carolina. And you said the region knew about us. I don't know if anybody in our states really knew about us but the success that Clemson's had and, and obviously with South Carolina being in here as well. But that's been the, that's been just so huge for us is now the, the attention that we've gotten and the way our guys play and the fun that we've had, that's been huge for us. And just the development of our program and trying to become a consistently, uh, you know, top program in the Sun Belt. Sun Belt's really good football. And I think, I think some people that follow it knew, but I think most people now, if you what you're thinking, Hey, that's a good brand of football there. Um, and if we can, you know, start being mentioned with the likes of uh, the top teams in our league consistently, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for that and the attention that we're receiving. The BYU game last year was obviously the, the you know, kind of the pinnacle of that. And it was one of these uh, perfect storm, you know, for, for that matchup to come together like it did. And, and the fact that game day was already planning to come to town. Um, what and, and I truly believe it was the best game of the, of the regular season last year in all in all of college football. Everybody people who would have no vested interest in, in either team were, you know, gravitated to that throughout the day. What did it do for you guys exposure wise in terms of maybe you're now hearing from recruits you never would have heard before, things like that? Well, uh, from that standpoint, uh, from a recruiting standpoint, uh, having game day here and then the way the game turned out, I mean, that, that opened so many doors for us. You know, most of our, our 21 class was, was basically finished by at that point. And, you know, we're, we were two weeks out from December. Uh, and so it didn't really affect that. But what it, what it has done for 22s um, all over from all over really the country now 
it is more and more people recognize that name and recognize that brand and that opened it up. Now we have every five nine center in the country. I can tell you that because of our five nine center. Um, but that, but I tell you what, I was most impressed with that the game. Yes, recruiting. I had more random fans uh, just from wherever email um, and just say, "Hey, I'm just a college football can't, fan. Don't know much about you know Coastal Carolina, but that was one of the most enjoyable games that I've ever seen." And just thank you for the type of way that game was played and the team and how you guys team played. We needed something positive within, you know, for, for what we're going through in this in this country. And I had more of those throughout the season, but specifically after that BYU game. I had somebody send us uh, – I had somebody from Kansas after the season or during after the game sent, sent me a an unbelievable shot of clearhead that he made on his own just saying, hey, I lost my wife and I'm a college football fan. And, and your team gave me joy this year just watching y'all play. Didn't know much about you. And so you really see the value of sports, obviously, and, and what it brings to be. It does unite us in a lot of ways. And and I think after that, just because it was such national recognition, um, you know, you saw so much more of that that people didn't really didn't know much about, you know, Coastal, just from all over the country reaching out and just talking about that game. And they must have had bet a lot of money on us is the only thing I got. <laughs> uh, but it was uh, that 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 really I think, and I knew how you know how important sports are to us because that's what we do, right? But then just other people outside of that and seeing that was that I'll take that uh, that memory, you know, from forward for the for the you know rest of my life. It's just the way the game played and game day and all those things. It was just something special. Jamie, this is something that I think I had mentioned to Stu a while back, but. Uh, one of the ways you really first got on my radar in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, there was a, a night I, uh, I remember early on where I was putting our kids to bed where I just kind of like wait till they get to sleep and just kind of scroll through the internet. And I had seen a, a tweet that you had put out and it was really related to a tragedy in, in uh, Georgia and it was the Ahmad Arbery case. Um, for people who don't know it, it was a it was a young black man who was killed um, while going for a run. And I, I remembered you commented on a news story about it. And I thought, okay, that was, it was interesting because that was one of the time. I think it was before a lot of people, at least in football, coaches were really speaking out on some of these issues. And so I started to read that night. I started reading more about you. And I came across a story from a few years earlier it's funny because our colleague Grace Rayner had done it. It was basically about uh, how you had met your wife early on. It was Grace had done it at a previous job. And so I started asking Grace about you. And she told me some really, you know, really cool things about you and your family and kind of your background and your perspective on things. Um, before we get into the football stuff, I did want us to touch on um, your role as as a leader and kind of how you've used social media as well as kind of where what this year has been like for you with so many different kind of a whirlwind of emotions from being like a darling of college football but at the beginning of all of kind of all this of how you've kind of been a voice for for your program well um my, my family and especially my wife does have a unique story and you know i, I was taught um from a young age from my from my mom especially that uh you're to use your voice for those that don't have a voice. Uh, and I know that I have been a, being a college football coach and, and being at smaller levels up to now, you always have a, a platform and you can use it for good or you can use it 
for harm. And I've always tried to, uh, uh, one, be thankful for the position I have, but two, make sure that if there's an opportunity to speak up against or for something that, that I believe is right or believe is wrong, I feel like I'm compelled to do that with the position that I have, and especially with uh, the group of young men that uh, I, I'm fortunate to coach. You know, majority of those are uh, minorities, uh, and a lot of those have come from difficult and, and certain uh, circumstances. And uh, I try to make sure that I empathize with where they're at and, and what they go through. And, and I, I never have all the answers, but I want to make sure that I've given them the opportunity to voice their concern, voice their opinions about certain things. I feel like social media gives you that opportunity, but I also want to make sure that I'm doing it in a way that's respectful, uh, that can uh, draw on dialogue and, and that we can have open and honest conversations about uh, what we're going through as a country, maybe what my players are experiencing or feeling through those time frames that I can help be a voice for them and give them a give them the platform to be educated enough to go out and share with that. And uh, and and my wife, you know, has a unique uh, unique experience with it as well because she, you know, she came from uh, Iran, uh, you know, a country that does not have democracy. She she was born there and, and raised there a little bit, and then moved to America when uh, when the revolution went on, and and so she's experienced a lot of. Uh, a lot of things firsthand being from a different country and, and being Middle Eastern, especially during the time frame back uh, during 9-11 when a lot went on with, you know, terrorism. And, and she uh, she obviously represents or, or very looks much like somebody from that region. And so she went through a lot of that as well. So I've got a unique perspective from her and her, and her upbringing and the things that she had to uh, go through. And so I've tried to, um, you know, make sure that I have an open ear and, and more importantly, I think an open heart to try to empathize with different uh, people that went through different things that I never experienced growing up. I grew up in a small town in East Tennessee, uh, you know, and so the, a lot of the things that were, that, that I've seen today or experienced, I didn't have that experience, but that mean that I can't uh, try to put myself in those positions. And as I said, speak up for those that might not have the chance to speak. Jamie, after that, this season, um, I know, and Stu and I talked about this more than once about, when there was a head coaching vacancy and there was a bunch in your in your area um, and your name was connected to it in one way or another, I think he and I both felt um, that would be a good hire for them, whoever it was going to be, because uh, because of your ties to, to those particular areas, because of your offense, because there was a lot of there was a lot of reasons why people would look at it and go, yeah, that would make a lot of sense for quote them, whoever them was whether it could have been Tennessee, whether it could have been South Carolina, whether it could have been UCF. Um, and we're not just saying this because you're on with us now. I mean, this is these are conversations we had over the last couple of months. Uh, I'm curious. So one of the things that would get brought up is, well, he's never coached at the Power 5 level. Um, from your perspective on things, um, do you think that whatever you guys did there are doing at, at Coastal and it's a lot of guys on your staff. Your defensive coordinator has done, a, uh, has done a tremendous job this past year. And I think, you know, during the Kansas game, he got a lot. You know, people were like, oh, this, you know, they got some good players. They got good players. And, and they play really hard. They play really fast. So people saw this. I mean, how much do you feel like, hey, this is wherever we go, and I'm, I'm going to try to bring all my guys with me on staff if we, don't, if we do get the chance, um, do you feel even more confident now about what you have after last year than kind of seeing it? Or what? where was your takeaway from? Because obviously your name was attached to a lot of things um, about where you feel like your career is headed. Well, the, 
that is the uh, I guess if it's if it's the knock is hey you've never been at this level you can't win at this level etc and uh, you know my answer always to that is listen um, I've been a head coach four times Division two FCS and now here and everywhere that we've been has been a either a rebuild job or a job just trying to try to get something going less resources all these things and we found a way to win and at the end of the day. Uh, the reason why you're hiring people is you're not winning with who you have currently, right? And you're in your alumni, everybody wants you to start winning. And so I had, I actually believed in ourselves and believed in what we did. I, I knew we would find a way to turn it around here and get this program going in, in the direction. And, and I, I feel whole hard. We're just getting started with it. This is, uh, you know, I was interim in 17 and last year was uh, taking over for Coach Mowgli and Nights. So really strong about the foundation that we have. And, and I feel confident in, in uh, our core group guys on our staff that we've been together for a long time. And all those places that we've been that we've turned around, we've done that together. And it's with it's and hard and, and, and having good coaches and doing those little things right. And I, and I believe wholeheartedly it work at that level. You know, the, the challenge uh, from what I, you know, what I'm gather is, you know, they, the power five. And I, again, I've never been there. Never. I was not, whether it was fortunate or unfortunate, never had the, the chance to be at that level and coach whether it's a or assistant or anything. That's just not been my, the path that I've had. I sort of had to create it on my own. You know, I didn't play at a, a high level. I didn't play for a, a famous coach. And so you sort of had to create it on your own. And so I, I've tried to share in any of those opportunities I've had to share is that I feel strongly uh, how you build a program. It's about your culture. Uh, you went with culture and uh, yes, talent, you know, you want to get as much talent, but you went with culture and, and, and the way your team plays and, and the way they go about handle themselves. And I, and I feel like we've shown that over the last, you know, I think this is my 11th year being a head coach in year, whatever it may be. And, uh, and I value winning. And sometimes I guess winning is not enough if you've not done it at a high enough level, you know? And so that's not for me to judge, but I feel strongly that, um, that we know what it takes to come to a program and get the maximize the potential out of it. And, and when you go into some time like this, they might not have the building advantages and, and you got to be the type of person that doesn't complain about it and you find a way. And I think that's what we've done a great job with their staff was we find a way to, to do it. And everybody goes, how y'all doing that? You know, and it's this or that, but you get the right people, you trust them. Uh, you know that you know they're in it for the right reasons that, and you have low egos. Uh, like our staff's got low egos. We care about each other and, uh, these guys have played for me or they've coached for me a long time. And then you, and then, you know, you're all pulling in the same direction and, uh, that's how we've had success. And I have no doubt, um, you know, wherever the Lord takes me that, uh, you know, we just signed a, a you know, a new a long-term deal here. We're excited about, and if there's another doors that open up down the road, I have no doubt it'll work there as well. You just got to get somebody to believe in that and, and believe in what you're doing. Uh, last thing, coach talking about this coming season, um, and once again, you guys started spring practice in the winter, and it's you've already completed your your spring camp. Uh, there's teams that that aren't even starting for another month. Um, and what I think, you know, with this rule where everybody gets a free year of eligibility, um, and we're looking around, we're seeing just how many seniors are coming back. I mean, when I saw your guys' numbers, and I it's possible they're a little outdated, so I forgive me, but as of the last time I saw this, you had you basically only lost two starters from that great team last season, right? Like. You had yeah, 10 senior we'll, starters we'll, we'll and all the two came 20, back. Right now, you know, paper-wise, we've got 20 or 22 starters back. So only two, and only, so only two seniors actually left, like, of those starters. Or everybody else decided we had, to come back. We had, we had three total leave, mm-hmm. uh, and two of them were, you know, one was a player of the year defensively, which is going to be hard to replace, and the other one was first-team all-conference running back, hard to replace. And then we had a receiver that rotated in. Uh, those were the three that we lost. Everybody else from a position standpoint is coming back. 
And so uh, that's a good start. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. So what did you, I, I guess I would ask, usually I ask, hey, what did you guys learn from spring this year? You already knew about these guys for the most part, but, you know, what was the big takeaway about where you stand coming out of spring? Well, you know, for us, the, the challenge was we, we got done playing our bowl game late December and we started earlier here than normal. January 27th was actually our start date because there was no recruiting. And the, and the purpose behind that, normally don't start that early, but our university pushed our spring break back uh, till the beginning of April. And I was concerned if COVID did not uh, get better that they were not going to bring uh, anybody back to campus after that except for maybe anybody that's in season. And so I wanted to make sure we got our off-season off conditioning and our, our practice in. And so our, our mindset going in, going into the practice this spring was, one, developing those positions. We do have a lot of people back, um, but there's still some guys that we need to develop in case injuries or for competition purposes. Is that second-team quarterback if something happens to the first-team guy? And so we had a lot of competitive uh, people to put them in position in case something goes wrong that they're ready to go out and, and play at a high level. And so it was really trying to find those other guys that, that that haven't had a lot of reps, and we gave them tons of reps this spring. And so I, I really feel good about we've identified who those who that next tier is in case something goes wrong, or hopefully maybe can compete for, you know, compete to push some of the starters that are coming back. Because I think that's the main thing is the starters coming back can't just relax. they got to feel like there's competition coming after their job as well. And and then plus the positive of getting the spring, we get to work on our uh, our post-game celebrations more. So we'll have we'll have some really good ones ready to rock and roll. we got more time to practice them. Well, that's good. We can uh, all check out your social media accounts for that. Um, I think Stu and I both agree on this. You guys were as fun a story in what was a, you know, turbulent 2020 college football season. And um, it's just, it was really, like I said, I mean, you guys are fun to watch. Everything about the story I thought was was pretty refreshing. And, you know, I think what what everyone around the sport kind of knows with all the guys you have coming back uh, it's not a one-year wonder thing. It's probably the start of something. So, uh, Jamie, we really appreciate your time today to, to join us on the Audible. I, I, th- I appreciate you guys. And I did I did promise my team I would grow a mullet, so I'm working it out. <laughs> y'all, y'all call me or we get back together here in about a month. I'm probably going to have a mullet, so y'all might want to be Breaking ready Breaking news right here. We broke that story right here right now. <laughs> Break. There you go. All right. Thank All right. you so much, Coach. Thank y'all. Thanks, Coach. All right. You heard it here first. Jamie Chadwell, mullet in progress. Um, we'll, we'll continue to up monitor this this fast developing story. Um, we unfortunately- Dude, how much money would it take for you to get to grow a mullet? True story. I had a mullet when I was uh, 14 or so uh, in my heavy metal days. It wasn't really called that then, I don't remember. I remember just referring to it as like my flip in the back. But there are pictures somewhere in my mom's house of 14-year-old Stuart with his mullet. Oh, we need to see those pictures. See what I can dig up. Um, we ran out of time, unfortunately, for emails this week. We will double up on them next week. Send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.